All right, what's going on, guys? It's JP from The Chase Down, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Welcome back, everybody. And today we have some awards predictions. Every year we do this. Um, we give you our MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, on and on and on. And we've had an okay track record. Last year I got the Jokic back-to-back MVP, right? Um, there's some other stuff that we've gotten right, like Rookie of the Year and shit like that for LaMelo Ball. But we have an okay track record. But this is always just fun to kind of get our predictions out there into the universe. I'm just going to leave this off. I kind of teased it last episode. My MVP for this upcoming year is going to be Nikola Jokic again. Um, a part of my mindset is he's proved me right before he might do it again. So that's always good. But I just think with the Nuggets, getting back to Murray and Michael Porter Jr., they have potential to win 60 plus games and be the number one seed in the West. And Jokic is going to be extremely efficient, extremely important to winning. And he's just going to put up unheard of stat lines once again. And I think a part of the main reason why Jokic has been winning these MVPs is he's doing historical things. The The stat lines and the efficiency he's doing them at is historical. No player other than like Wilt Chamberlain has ever done what this guy's doing. If he can re- replicate that again, but also have a team that's approaching 60 wins or even eclipses 60 wins, I don't see how you don't hand the award to that guy. I like your pick a lot. Uh, Jokic so far through seven seasons in the NBA has yet to play less than 72 games in a season. Um, Dude's really good at staying healthy, really good at putting a lot of minutes in. And he is doing things offensively that people in the NBA are not capable of. He's the only one who's able to do this sort of thing. Um, Defensively, he has increased. He's gotten better. Fourth quarter, he can still be a bit of a liability, but so is everybody on the other end of the floor when he's on offense. His fourth quarter net rating last year was number one. Um, So if you want to talk about how much of a liability he is, you still got to recognize that he was better than everybody else. He was more valuable than everybody else in the fourth quarter. Um, My MVP pick kind of got screwed over this morning uh, with the news that Ime Udoka was caught sleeping with a staff member. Um, Tatum was my MVP pick. I expected the Celtics to have a pretty historic season. We don't know what's going to happen with him. And we'll talk about it at the end of the pod. Cause we want to just get the awards out first. Um, but for my top two, I'm going to say just one of these guys is going to get their third MVP. It's either going to be Jokic or it's going to be Giannis, uh, back to back to back MVPs for Jokic would be great. The Nuggets are about to be healthy this season, and they got additional rotation pieces, and I expect a really, really great year from them. Um, And Giannis is still the best two-way player in basketball. He is still a reigning Defensive Player of the Year candidate every single year. He puts up 28 points, 12 boards, you know, every other stat you can ask for. Um, I think the Nuggets have a bit of a more talented cast, so I'd expect more wins for that squad. But either Jokic or Giannis are going to be my top two. Yeah, and that would be my top two as well. Those are the two best players in the league, and they're both on very good teams. It would not shock me at all if those guys finished one and two. Um, We have to mention Joel Embiid because he was the runner-up last year, and he lost by, I think, a slim margin. Um, He has a good chance of winning this award as well. Um, If James Harden does take a step up like me and you kind of suspect and Tyrese Maxey improves once again and PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton are out there with them too this team should be pretty good if he can just stay healthy and play a comparable amount of games to Jokic and Giannis it'll be the same three last year 
um, as it will this year. So Joel has a pretty good shot still, but yeah. I feel bad a bit for Joel because in terms of big men, uh, Giannis and Jokic are always going to be better than him. Um, I don't really see Embiid ever taking over Jokic's spot there, especially because they got the same amount of wins last season and Jokic was playing with bums. Um, and Embiid had a pretty good team around him. Obviously, Ben Simmons wasn't playing, but they still had a pretty good squad around him. Um, but he did play 68 games last year. We can expect that kind of health for Joel Embiid going forward. I, I just, unfortunately, I think he's stuck at like third place in MVP votes. I think he's going to be one of those dudes that doesn't make enough first team all NBA selections when his career is over because he had to play with Jokic. Yeah. And there have been guys like that throughout history. Like there's a ton of guys who just get stuck behind the LeBron James or the Michael Jordans. And, you know, that's, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you're the third best at your position or the second best at your position with a roadblock keeping you from eclipsing him, that's it's kind of tough. But I I still think he has a pretty good shot because I think Philly's going to be a pr- pretty decent team. Um, I want to bring up some other dark horses because um, yeah. I think Embiid's a bit out there in terms of odds. He's not like you know tenth or anything, but I feel like Jokic and Giannis are the top two guys. Um, Jason Tatum I still think has an outside chance of being an MVP. Obviously, they know the system. They know how to run it. Uh, Ime Udoka set it up last season. There are some good, talented head coaches waiting for a job like Becky Hammond. And if we were able to get her, um, I know she's coaching the Aces, but I think if she was given the opportunity to switch to the NBA, she may take it. Um, I don't know. I, I still think Jason Tatum has an outside chance. I think Tatum has an outside chance, too. I think the Becky Hammond thing's a pipe dream. I, I would love that, but it's a pipe dream. Um Tatum, he should put up 27, 8, and probably 5 or 4, and his team should win close to 60 games now. I don't, like, because Ime lost his top assistant also. Like, he went to Utah. He's the head coach there now, too. So it's not like it's not like he has a trusted guy to just take the helm over for him. It's just going to be an assistant that was on his staff probably filling in. Um, so I don't know how many wins that costs the Celtics, but Tatum still has a chance. Are there any other outside dark horses? I want to say, uh, just because he's always a member of the conversation, uh, LeBron James with a healthy Anthony Davis with a potential Russell Westbrook being traded. I think he's still got top five MVP potential. Top five. Absolutely. I don't think he can win that award ever again. I don't think, cause I, I just, we both had the Lakers being the nine seed in our, right. In our rankings. If that does come to fruition, they're not handing LeBron James an MVP award for the rest of his career, which is sad. Cause he, he still is that caliber of player. Like he put up 36 and six last year. Like that's just ridiculousness. But if his team's the ninth seed in the West, they're not going to hand it to him. Yeah, I mean, part of me putting them at the nine seed was me expecting Anthony Davis to play 35 games or whatever. Um, I think we're we're not – it's unrealistic to expect him to play a full season because he really hasn't done it more than once in his career. Um, But I think that's what it would take because obviously when they're healthy together, they're an incredible force. Yeah, so I think that kind of wraps it up for MVP. I think Ant Edwards is going to make – like top five MVP voting, but he, I don't think he has a shot to win it. But let's move on to defensive player of the year. Um, I have a homer pick, but it's realistic. It's Evan Mobley. 
I think Evan Mobley has a very good shot at winning defensive player of the year. I think he's going to have to cover for a lot of mistakes this year. Um, if Donovan Mitchell comes with the defensive intensity that he had in Utah to Cleveland, people are going to drive right by him. I kind of buy in that he won't, but if he does, Mobley is going to be a all-time eraser this year. Um, we've seen him switch out onto all NBA guards and shut them down like John Morant, Trey Young, Damian Lillard. He did that all last year, and then he was seventh in blocks in the league at 1.8. So I I really think he has a good chance to win this award. I think that's a bit insane for a second year. Um, I think eventually he's got that in his bag. And obviously, as a perimeter big, he's one of the best in the NBA. He's bam out of bio levels, but a bit more fluid. Um, and he has really good rim protection skills. But I think there are three guys in the NBA right now that I would pick over him for defensive player of the year. Um, you can take your pick as to which one you like more, but Draymond Green, Giannis, and Rudy Gobert, I think are the three dudes who have the seniority. They have the, you know, because part of winning defensive player of the year is not being the best defender in basketball, but having the name, uh, being a common household name. Um, I don't think Evan Mobley's there yet. I do expect him to make an all defensive team this year, but I think it's too early to expect defensive player of the year, even though he will have a big workload defensively. And I think that's a fair argument. I just, I think what's going to happen is the Cavs are going to win a lot of games. And I think people are going to see what he's doing defensively and just kind of give him the credit for the uptick in wins, even though Donovan Mitchell's there. Um, I think Giannis is always a good bet because he is the best defensive player in the league. I don't think it's close. Um, Draymond Green, if he plays similarly like he did last year, he absolutely should be in the running. And did you say Rudy Gobert also? I did, yes. Yeah, and he's just, he's a staple in this conversation. He should always be. But I think this is the year Mobley joins that conversation. I don't think we have to wait three, four, five years for this to happen for him. He was one of the best defenders in the league as a rookie, and it it's kind of undebatable. Um, I think this is the year he kind of either throws his name into the ring or wins the award. I, if he had won it, if he had made an all defensive team last year, which me and you kind of expected him to, uh, maybe I could see that, but I just don't think he's got the recognition that he deserves yet. He didn't even win defensive or the rookie of the year last year. And I think yeah. me and you both think, you know, even though the stats are identical between him and Scotty, the defensive uh, prowess that he brought, put him over the edge and he should have won that award. Um, but it's a Homer pick. And I understand that. Um, I think, I wanted to say as an outside chance, Robert Williams could win that award, but he just got, he's out for four to six weeks, cleaning up some issues in his knee. Um, he was the most impactful defender on the Celtics last year. The fact that Marcus Smart won, it was kind of goofy. I love him. Smart's awesome, but he, Rob Williams impacts the def defensive side of the ball a lot more. Um, but I don't expect him to stay healthy. If I had to pick between the three guys that I brought up, I think I'd say Draymond Green. Yeah, I love that. I I was on it all last year. Like, if Draymond Green stays healthy, he was the best defensive player in the league last year. Like, he, what he was doing was insane in terms of just perimeter defense on guards, forwards, and just protecting the rim. It was just – and he made – he's one of the players that makes defensive plays in the biggest games. Like, we saw throughout the postseason. In the finals, he looked like a bum the first two games, and then he absolutely just fucking destroyed the Celtics the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, people were clowning him on Twitter. Even his own mom were making fun of him because mm -hmm. he looked so bad. 
And then he flipped a switch and was by far the most impactful defensive player in that series. Um, yeah, I, I actually like your pick a lot. I, mine's definitely a little bit of homerism, but I, I think if I had to vote outside of Mobley, I think it would be green. All right. I think that's fair. I do expect Mobley, Mobley to make an all defensive team this year. Um, I think he should have got it last year, but he was just a rookie and people don't really give rookies that kind of nod. Um, but speaking of rookies, rookie of the year. I think that there's one very clear answer. And then outside of that, the next three or four is whoever you really want to place there. But I think the number one's got to be Paolo Bancaro. Um, I would have liked to see Chet win this award. He's going to be redshirted because of the, the foot injury. So, you know, maybe he's got a chance at it next season. But Paolo Bancaro is six foot 10, six foot 11, and he is NBA ready. He's got NBA ready body at 19. Um, he is a menace running the pick and roll. He is so comfortable with the ball in his hands. Him and Franz Wagner are going to be very, very similar in their rookie production. Yeah. Um, but I think Paolo's, because he's the number one pick, he's going to have a little more of a spotlight. People are going to be a little more impressed by what he does. Yeah, and I think that's all exactly why I think he's going to be the best player from this draft. I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on who the best player of this draft would be. It's starting to become pretty clear to me that it's going to be Paolo. I th- and a, don't get me wrong, I think Chet's going to be incredible, but I think Paolo, as a 6'10", 250-pound ball handler, it's just a very unique skill set. Um, and I think I, I'm weirdly bullish on Orlando this year. Like, I'm starting to think they could win more games than the Knicks. Um, I think they could end up being the 10 seed, which is just from – getting the number one overall pick to making the play in tournament, that would be quite a turnaround, but I'm really starting to feel that way. Paolo, I think is the runaway rookie of the year choice. I think we see him approach 20 points per game this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of count on eight rebounds as well. Um, and probably throw in a few assists as well. We're going to see a very, very nice stat line from him. Really. It comes down to his efficiency from three. If he, if he's an above average NBA shooter, lock it in. This guy's a multiple time all-star for his whole career. If he's sitting at like 30, 31, like kind of like the Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley range, we'll be hoping he adds the jump or just like we do for those two players as well. But I think, I think it's going to be a great year for the magic. I think magic fans should be very excited. I think Scotty Barnes is a fair player to look at in terms of comps, but he's much more offensively polished. Um, But in terms of build and in terms of fluidity with the ball in his hands, he's going to do a lot of what Scotty did. I would would even go as far as saying he's way better than Scotty with the ball in his hands. Yeah. And then just it's not even comparable defensively because Scotty Barnes tries and Paolo doesn't. Yes. Yeah. Offensively, I mean, you know, size-wise, there are some comparisons you can make there. But I agree. Paolo's going to have an incredible year. He's one of the rookies that I expect to just come out hot immediately day one, game one. Um, And I think 20 points per game is really reasonable. If you look at some rookies in the past who have upticked in scoring towards the latter half of the season, like Cade, if he didn't start so slowly, he could have had 20 points per game last season pretty comfortably. Um, Jalen Green could have had a lot more points per game because of how poor he started. Anthony Edwards, his rookie year started incredibly poorly. There's a lot of guys who just don't have the polish that Paolo's coming right into the NBA with. Yeah. And it's funny, like 
Anthony Edwards scored 19 points per game as a rookie, and that was on shooting probably the worst percentages you possibly could for about a four-month stretch. Yeah. Very similar with Cade and Jalen Green, but all three of those players caught fire at mm-hmm. the end of the season. Like Jalen Jalen Green averaged 28 points per game the last 10 games of the season last year. Like that's that's all-star level stuff. Um I think Paolo has a chance to just be good from literally day one just because of how imposing he is physically. I do too. I I agree. I think he's going to be, you know, I think the peak is definitely going to be less than a Cade or an Ant or a a Jalen Green, but he's going to be consistently better through the whole season. Absolutely. And I think in terms of other rookie of the year choices, um, if you want to go out on a limb, my personal bet would probably be Jaden Ivey. Um, I just think he is such a dynamic athlete. He's such a physical specimen. He's going to fly past people on the court. He always plays with 100% effort. I could see him ending up being a 17-point-per-game scorer with 5-5. Five and five. And if the shooting efficiencies look okay, that could be a nice second option. I also think Keegan Murray has an outside chance. He's definitely the like least interesting player of the bunch. But if that Kings team starts to win more games than people expect, and he's a big part of that, that could help him out. The Keegan Murray one's interesting. Jaden Ivey is going to be my number two pick for rookie of the year. I think the issue with Keegan Murray is there's too many legitimate rotation players on that Kings team this year. That's fair. Um, I think an all rookie team is probably a lock. I'm going to expect him to be one of the most efficient guys, one of the most efficient rookies next season, yeah. um, because he's not going to be taking too many, excuse me, too many shots. He's just going to get, you know, efficient looks from three and at the basket. Um, my third pick, and this is a bit of a homer pick, is Ben Madrin. Yeah. Um, I have been behind this guy since the draft process started. I have been saying this man's going to be an all-star. Um, he was projected to fall a lot lower than he actually fell, and I was one of the people rooting for him to go to the Pacers and bring some excitement to that team. All credit to you in the world. Way before even mock drafts like started coming out you thought him to indiana was a great fit yes people were mocking him at like 10 11 to the pelicans and you were like no this man deserves to go six so props to you on that yes him and Jaden ivy the thing i think they both have in common is people are going to really want to watch them if excitement is something that makes you want to vote for somebody for rookie of the year Jaden ivy is going to have that over paolo i don't think paolo's got the same kind of flashiness that Jaden ivy or ben matherin do um, but obviously, I think Paolo's stats are just going to be better. And I want to mention one more player, because I think it's kind of funny that we aren't mentioning him. Jabari Smith Jr. He was the third pick in the draft. Um, a very highly touted prospect. People liked him a lot. Me and you had doubts about him. What do you think about him in the rookie of the year race? Do you think he even ends up top three in voting? He terrifies me, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, watching him in the summer league, he had an excellent game in a summer league game where he didn't dribble the ball more than four times. Um, he has no ability to put the ball on the floor. It's like, crazy. Against G League guys, he's going to struggle. Against guys in college, he struggled. It's really not a part of his game. He needs to be a Clay Thompson-esque guy where he just catches and shoots or a Michael Porter Jr.-esque guy uh, where you just don't have him dribble the ball at all, and that's how he's going to be most effective. And for a number three pick, it just terrifies me a little bit. Um, just because the Rockets don't have facilitators. 
if the Rockets had like a Ricky Rubio type guy, right, um, who could just feed Jabari in the corner or at the key, like any spots on the three that he likes, I would be much higher on Jabari Smith's potential. But having Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green being the guys running the show, I think it's unlikely he gets the kind of touches he needs to be a rookie of the year potential. I'm kind of with you there. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be what every team wants, 3 and D wing. I think he's going to be very good. I just don't think he has the excitement to be a rookie of the year candidate. And I also think because he's so reliant on others, that's going to take away from his case. Because I could see him scoring 15 points per game and shooting 38% from three. But I feel like more than 70% of his baskets are going to be assisted. So... I think Damn that just, near every shot is going to be assisted. He yeah. can't create for himself. Right. Well, he can create out of the post, and that's literally it. Yeah. But this is the NBA. We don't play out of the post. It's a. It's almost an extinct thing. So, yeah. For it's it's funny we don't mention him, but as the third pick in the draft. But I think it makes sense that he shouldn't be in the conversation. Out of all of those names, Jabari Smith definitely has the highest defensive ceiling as a rookie. Watching him in the summer league, he was dominant. Him and Tari Eason together were shutting down guys. And Jabari can guard guards and forwards just as easily. I think the Rockets have a very intriguing future coming up because of those two wings. Both of them were so good on defense. Um, Yes, it was the summer league, but still, it was was fun to watch. If you're the Rockets, if you're someone helping run that organization, do you play Jabari, Tari Eason, and Shengun as your 3-4-5? I probably don't, just because you still have Jay Sean Tate and you still have Eric Gordon. So Jabari Smith needs to play day one. He's the third pick in the draft. He needs to start. But I think you need at least one veteran on the court. At least one. Even though Tar Eason's really fun, I think they start the season with Jay Sean Tate or Eric Gordon in front of him. By season's end, though, Tar Eason will be in the starting lineup. I think that's fair. Um yeah, I guess we can move on. I was going to try to ask about all rookie teams because I think there's some obvious choices. I think Jaden Ivey, Paolo, Jabari, Keegan Murray, I think all those guys have pretty good shots at making an all-rookie team. Um, there's always dudes in the you know beginning of the second round or the end of the first round that end up sliding in there. Uh, if you had to pick a guy real quick to be on any sort of rookie of the year watch or you know make an all-rookie team, are there any guys you're look- looking at? I think Ochai Kbaji. Honestly, um, I think he's going to be similar to Chris Duarte in the sense he just hits the ground running. He's going to be a 15 point per game scorer on decent efficiency kind of right away. Um, and I think that's good enough to get you on an all rookie team. I think that that's fair. Um, moving on to most improved player. Me and you have the same one as a pretty big lock. He's the betting favorite right now. Uh, we've talked about this dude potentially putting his name in the MVP hat. Um, and I'll let you take over. It's Ann Edwards. Yeah, he's a freak. Um, I, since his rookie year, even when he was shooting 39% from the floor, I saw something that made me think he could be a top 10 player in the league. And I think this is the year he becomes a top 10 player in the league. And I think Minnesota wins a lot of games. I have them at the sixth seed. I think they could go higher than that. Um, That's kind of their floor, in my opinion. I just think he's going to be so important. I think he's going to be 25-5-5. And I think he's going to shoot close to 40% from three. I think he's going to have a few ridiculous dunks this year. And I also think he's the guy that closes out games. Um, We saw it in the postseason. When he held the ball in the last minute, good things happen. 
when D'Angelo Russell held the ball in the last minute, things went to shit. So he is the guy who can lead the team to success. He's the guy. He's the number one option over Cat. It's not close. Um, Cat is a number two, and that's okay. He's still a good player, but he is a number two. Anthony Edwards is a number one option on a championship contending team, in my opinion. I think he takes a massive leap this year, very similar to what John Morant did last year. I think that that's totally reasonable. I'm right there with you. Um, I think the points per game was probably going to tick up to, you know, 26, 27. Um, I expect the efficiency from three to jump because he seems to be figuring it out game after game, month after month. He seems to just be more and more efficient from three-point land. Um, The thing I really want to see tick up for him is consistent defensive intensity. Yeah. Um, We've seen it. We've talked about it. When he locks in, he is impossible to get by. Um, he is so strong. He is so quick. He stays in front of guys very, very well. The issue he has is just falling asleep when his guy doesn't have the ball in his hands. Um, and Rudy Gobert helps make up for that a little bit. But if we see some really intense, consistent intensity from defense from Anthony Edwards around the perimeter, you know, Rudy Gobert hasn't had that. Um yeah. I, I think that'll be a really, really entertaining thing to see. And I think that's something that'll help propel him into that conversation, into that, you know, M- most improved player MVP talk. And the thing with him is he can guard up. He can gu- he can guard forwards. Like his wingspan and just his physicality alone, like that dude weighs probably 220 pounds and yeah. he's just a brick shithouse. Like the dude is fucking ripped. Um, yes, he's 6'5", but if he's guarding a 6'8 guy who's 200 pounds and he's 220, I'm just fine with him doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it really comes down to can he lock in, like you were saying. We talked about that a lot last year, and he's super handsy on defense. Like, when people drive past him, he's always slapping wrists. He's always getting called for reach-ins. If he can just sit in a base and slide his feet and just body up someone, he could literally be first team all defense whenever he chooses to make those adjustments. Yeah. Um. So I'm super excited. I think the clear number two is Tyrese Halliburton. You can go back to the Kings Pacers trade of last year, the episode we did on that. I really thought Halliburton was going to be the number one option for most improved player this year. Obviously Anthony Edwards is just an animal and he's probably a force that you can't stop from growing, but Halliburton, I think, is going to have a very similar tier, year that Darius Garland had last year. I think he's just going to be an absolute insane playmaker. I think he's going to have to create everything for everyone. Um, I just think he's he's such a good player, and I think he's going to take a leap up. The issue with Halliburton is not his skill, but it's his production last year was excellent. Um, if you average out his Sacramento and Indiana play, it's about 15 and a half points per game and eight assists per game, which is good. I mean, and he could make the jump up. Um, the Pacers are going to be absolutely trash this year, and he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, I think it would take a gigantic leap in points per game for him to really be above, excuse me, Edwards in that conversation. Um, because it's not like his efficiency can get any better from anywhere on the floor. No, nope. um, he just needs to shoot the ball a lot more. And so maybe if that ticked up, he was scoring 17 and a half points per game in Indiana in the, you know, 30 or the 26 games that he played that ticks up to 21, you know, maybe yeah. because well, that's what of I'm the, the, the averaging of the Sacramento year, maybe that's enough. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think it's I, – I thought it was a little bit ridiculous because his stats were so good, but I could see that happening. He is becoming the no-doubt, unquestioned number one option next year from point one to point eighty two, like from yeah. game one, 82. Like, yeah. he will score 20 points per game, I'm pretty sure, or a tick below it, and he's going to have close to 10 assists per game, and he's going to do it on ridiculous efficiency with extremely low turnover numbers. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that's his case for the award. I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, his assist to turnover ratio was like three to one last year. And for a dude putting up almost 10 assists a game in Indiana, it's insane. Um, We see him with the ball in his hands. He's about as good as there is, especially for young guards uh, in terms of not losing the ball. So I think it's fair. The the third guy in terms of betting favorites is Jalen Brunson. Um, He's about to be the man in New York. He was already the second option, but he's about to have the ball in his hands a lot. And I think that's going to lead to, you know, more scoring, more assists, and just more visibility. Um, So he's the third option in terms of betting favorites. I think one name we have to mention, even though I'm not a super fan of this player, is LaMelo Ball. I think there's a chance that they just make him Trey Young. Right, where they're just like every single second you're taking a shot or you're passing the ball someone so they can shoot. Because the Hornets have basically no talent on their team right now. It's Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, who misses 60 games a year, and then LaMelo Ball. And then everyone else is kind of gone. So I I wouldn't be surprised if the offensive strategy down in Charlotte would just be, LaMelo, go have fun and go try to score as many points as you can. I'm going to go with a slightly different answer for a similar reason on the same team. I think there's two guys you could look at as a potential most improved player, and it's two forwards. It's either PJ Washington or Jalen McDaniels. Both of their guys' production last season was pretty underwhelming, and with Miles Bridges being a shitbag criminal and no longer being a part of this organization. Fuck Miles Bridges. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Both PJ Washington and Jalen McDaniels are going to get a significant uptick in minutes. I think PJ Washington's got the higher floor out of those two offensively. I think he could do a lot. Uh, He could take a lot more shots. Um, I don't know how far you go from all-star if you're LaMelo Ball. Like, he's not that guy. He made the all-star game because a bunch of other people were injured. I don't think in a regular year LaMelo's close to making an all-star game. Um, So I don't know. That uptick would have to be, like, all NBA levels. I think it's much more likely that a dude like Jalen McDaniels who put up six points per game last year could jump up to like 12 or 13. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I just, people love the from good to great change rather than from okay or bad to good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, LaMelo was pretty good last year. Statistically, he's 27 and eight. That's, that's very good. Um, Does he become 25? seven and eight just do they just give him an extra five points per game and say go keep shooting his efficiency probably drops a little bit there's a chance i'm not super high on it but there's a chance that happens in my eyes i think that that's fair Uh, i don't have any issue with that Um, um for six man of the year i think it's a two horse race and i think it's on both of our favorite teams so for the celtics it's malcolm brogdon in my opinion and then for the Cavs, it's karis levert and we can go into this um Brogdon's just a player I've always respected. If that man was healthy, he probably would have an all-star game under his belt. Um, I just, he's one of the most efficient go-to just here, have the ball, 
He can settle things down. He can score. He can pass. He can defend. He's just going to be an amazing player for the Celtics off the bench. And to think that he's just going to blindly accept that role with no issues just kind of speaks to his like humbleness or whatever. Like he's just ready for the team to win. So I think Brogdon's got to be number one. I like that. I like that pick a lot. Um, I The sixth man of the year is one of my least favorite awards in the NBA. Um, I can't stand a dude like Tyler Hero who plays more minutes than almost anybody else on the Heat every game getting yeah. that award um, for doing nothing other than shooting the ball a lot. You know, the Jordan Clarkson award, you could call it just a dude who takes a lot of shots and comes off your bench. I don't really like what's the point of this award, um, but I, I think Brogdon is good in terms of impact. I don't think he's going to get it because nobody gives a shit about the dude who's really impactful as a six man off the bench. They give a shit about you know, are you scoring 19 points? Um, and I don't think Levert or Brogdon have that in them. I think if you're talking about, you know, who are the betters going to vote on, it's going to be Jordan Poole or it's going to be Tyler Hero again. Which I fucking hate. Yeah, and me too. I would do just about anything for that to not happen. Yeah. Um, I think they're, you're kind of right. Like, it's usually the people who just score a bunch, but... I don't know. I'm going to bet on, you know, Brogdon being a very impactful player on a team that's probably going to win 60 games. That's where I'm going to go with this. I like that a lot, man. I'd love to see it. Um, But every year I feel like there's a dude who scores 19 points off the bench. And then there are a whole bunch of really impactful guys coming off the bench who are passing, who are playing good defense, who are, you know, helping keep the team afloat while their stars sit. And all those guys just get ignored and we give it to Jordan Clarkson every year. Yeah, that was the worst example of it when Joe Ingles lost the award to Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. When Joe Ingles was by far the more impactful player, but Jordan yeah. Clarkson averaged 19 points per game. Yeah, I, I think we see that way too much and it frustrates the hell out of me. Um, I'd love to see Brogdon win it. I don't think Levert has a chance in hell uh, because really? I think it, because you think about how awful the forwards on the Cavs are. Yeah. If Karis Levert is a good player, he's starting. He's uh, not. Isaac Okoro is garbage. He's not Garbage, garbage. One of the worst starting forwards in the NBA right now. Um, you know, whatever other forwards you want to talk about on that team, Chetty Osman would be one of the worst starting forwards in the NBA right now. Karis Levert's ceiling uh, makes it so I think he – they'd at least consider starting him for 30, 35 games of the season. I don't think they do. I think they're really worried about the two small guards on defense. I think they're going to have Isaac Okoro out there all the time. And then I think when Garland or Mitchell needs a breather, they're going to throw out Levert. I think Levert has a very good chance at winning this award. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of his. Like, yeah. I'm I want to just... hear you keep defending him. No, no. I'm, I'm just saying what wins this award is what he's good at just shot chuck and score points and that's that's his only skill set whether it's efficiency like efficiently or not it doesn't really matter if you're going to win this award like jordan clarkson the year he won it he shot 42 percent from the floor same thing with lou williams same thing with eric gordon same thing with jamal crawford like efficiency is not something they focus on it's how many points can you score off the bench right away and that's something that Karis LeVert can do, in my opinion. He's just going to say, hey, I'm fucking shooting, move out of the way, and probably give you 15 to 17 points. 
I, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to say, uh, especially when you're talking about, you know, how inefficient a lot of the guys that win this award are. Karis LeVert doesn't have to do too much. He doesn't have to do anything other than he always does. Exactly. Um, I, I, I guess that's reasonable. I would hate to see it. I don't want to see him rewarded for shot chucking inefficiently on a team that would like him to do more. That's why this award is awful like yeah. it should probably just be gone yeah. because we do reward players like in some aspects like these players get rewarded for really helping out their teams yeah and Jordan then Clarkson, some... you do need a dude like that who can come off your bench and score 30 sometimes absolutely yes exactly and that's like a very valuable thing to have like tyler hero whatever you think of him as a player like last year like he really led that team to a lot of wins when jimmy right. butler and kyle lowry was hurt so it is valuable but at the same time, there are guys getting rewarded for just bum play. Yeah. So it's whatever. It doesn't really matter. This award's kind of weird in the first place, but I think if anyone's going to win it, it's either going to be Brogdon or Levert. I think that's fair. Um, moving on to Coach of the Year, I think there are three guys here that I don't know what order I want to put them in. Um, I'm going to start with my number one for next season, and it's Ty Luke. Um, with the Clippers coming back with Kawhi and Paul George being at full strength um, and with the load management that they do, Ty Lue's got a really interesting year ahead of him. Um, and I think what we've seen from him is when Kawhi's out and when Paul George is out, this team still operates as a unit and it's like nothing changes. A couple more guys take on new responsibilities, but there's no stress. There's no freaking out about your role. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And I think Ty Lue deserves a lot of credit for that. And then the transition when you bring those guys back in, it seems seamless every single time. Ty Lue is really one of the best coaches in the game. And a couple of years ago, I never thought I'd say that. Um, I think he is one of the runaway favorites. He's my selection as well. I think that team, I have them as the number one seed in the West. I think Ty Lue better than other player, uh, better than other coaches can hold players accountable. I think a lot of guys respect Ty Lue. And he just does funky shit out there. Like, mm -hmm. he'll just try something for the hell of it, and then it'll work. Um, I remember you brought up, like, you never thought you would say that. Two years ago on this podcast, he had me ripping out my hair because mm -hmm. I was so fucking annoyed how he was playing in the playoff. Like, how he was using his players in the playoffs. It was driving me crazy. Yeah. And then it and fucking then worked. Yeah. And then it fucking worked. Yeah. And, you know, he adjusted. He got into a 3-1 hole, but he he found his way out of it yeah. and then it worked so i was like hey he can do it whatever um i think tyloo is a very good selection for this award and yeah. it would be his second time or first time winning it which always helps like if you're not like a repeat winner over and over and over again i think this will help him yeah there are some but i mean if you're talking about playoff coaching especially there are some bum coaches like doc rivers who come into the playoffs with a strategy and then it does not matter if it's working or not working. We're sticking to that strategy. Right. And if we lose in six games because it was a terrible strategy, well, it was someone else's fault. Um, at least Ty Lu takes credit for the shit he does wrong and he adjusts. We've seen that in every series he's ever been a part of. Um, my other two, whoever you want to put it second place here, they both have very similar stories for their teams. It's going to be Willie Green and JB Bickerstaff. Both of these guys are bringing in a very talented new player into a team that was already fighting for a playoff spot last season. Um, both are going to have trap challenges, you know, bringing this guy into the system and having it work seamlessly. 
Willie Green, I loved watching him pump up his guys last year. I feel like the Pelicans really, really like him. I feel like they really are behind him. Um, And he just seems like a sick leader. And I am as excited as I could possibly be for Zion joining this team. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I love you brought both of those coaches up. I think that's an awesome selection. And I just want to go down because we talked about this in the summertime when we weren't really doing pods. The amount of good coaches we have in this league right now is kind of spectacular. I'm going to run through a list I made in the summer just for fun. Eric Spolstra, Monty Williams, Taylor Jenkins, Chris Finch, Ime Udoka, Willie Green, Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, Budenholzer, Bickerstaff, Nurse, Kerr, Mike Malone, Quinn Snyder, Ty Lue, and James Borrego, who doesn't even have a fucking job. He got fired by the Hornets, and he was absolutely a good coach. Like, Mm -hmm. this league is loaded right now. It's so fun to see all these guys playing chess out there. Um, This is going to be a fun race for this award. I love your picks, though. I think think Ty Lue should be the number one, but I'm fine with Willie Green and Bickerstaff being two and three. There's a lot of other guys, man. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of teams fighting for the one and two spot in both the East and the West. Um, Ime Udoka would have been on my list had he not been caught sleeping with a woman on his staff. He was actually my choice, my number one choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who knows what's going to happen? Woj seems to think that there's a chance he gets suspended for the whole season. There's talks about him possibly resigning. Um, who knows? That'll be a thing we'll have to update about as a, you know, as a response comes out about that. Um, I really don't know what to expect there, but I mean, Ty Lue is definitely going to be incredible. Uh, Mike Malone, coach of the Nuggets, I think bringing in new talent and having your guys come back healthy, having, you know, Murray and Porter come back healthy. He's a guy that you could talk about there. Um, yeah, it is a really good year for coaching. There's so many talented guys. So this leads us to our championship picks. Every year, we say our championship picks. Uh, This year, I'll go first. The NBA Finals will consist of the Boston Celtics facing the Los Angeles Clippers. And I have the Clips winning. I think Kawhi is going to be your finals MVP. That'll be three championships, three finals MVPs. And I think it's going to be a good series. I think it goes seven, but I think the Clips take it. See, and I think uh, my answer is going to make a lot of sense, too. I have the Boston Celtics facing the Denver Nuggets. Um, and I have the Boston Celtics taking that in seven. I think Tatum will bring home the finals MVP. Uh, I think the only team in the East that could stop the Celtics from making the finals is the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's close. I think the East, even though it's so deep, I feel like there is a tier of their own with Boston and Milwaukee. Milwaukee, obviously, you have the best player in the league. And you still have good players flanking him. And then Boston, you're just so deep everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the Celtics probably making the Eastern, like representing the East in the finals. Yeah. And then I just, I think the Clippers are literally just the adult version of the Celtics. Like, that's just how I view them. I think Kawhi is the better version of Jason Tatum. And I think Paul George is the better version of Paul uh, Jalen Brown. And I just... You know, I just think that ends up winning. If they're healthy, they're winning that series. They're the team in the West you've been backing for years, um, you know, since yeah. Kawhi's been on the team. And same thing for me with the Nuggets and Jokic. Um, I veer, this is both going to be their best years in a while. If all goes right and they stay healthy. I think that Western Conference Finals, if that's the matchup we get to see, that's going to be entertaining as hell. From that 3-1 that yeah. they lost in the bubble. Yeah. Um, 
I think there's, you know, a little bit of bad blood still there. I think it's going to be a heated series. I'd really love to see that. I, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about just your your potential championship matchup because my championship matchup's pretty it feels like a pretty um like the matchups make sense right like they can both play small or they can both play big like the Clippers can have Zubac out there and then the Celtics are probably going to run with uh Horford and Williams out there again for the second straight year but the Nuggets versus the Celtics is such an interesting matchup because there's only three good big men in the league and they're fucking crazy good like Mm -hmm. Jokic Joel Embiid and Giannis Jokic is a straight up center back to the basket twirling around in the post dropping 28 per game with 13 rebounds and 10 assists like how do you think the Celtics could even try to handle Jokic in a playoff series so the most interesting thing about that for me is if you go and you look at Jokic's numbers since becoming the man since becoming an all-star the dude that he is now one of the worst, I think maybe two of his five worst regular season performances ever are against the Celtics. One of them was last season. He was absolutely trash. Yes. Um, And, I, you know, one was maybe the year before. We do a good job at Al Horford being a big body that stays in his way. We saw it in the Horford versus Embiid days that Al Horford is one of the smartest big man defenders out there. He's good at getting in front of you and stopping you from going where you want to go. And then Rob Williams sneaks up behind him for blocks all the time. And then we got smart to go run around and pick his pocket. Um, We've just got a lot of pests. Yeah. And with Horford just being a sturdy dude to stop Jokic from making his way to the basket. And then he never, Jokic never knows where the rest of the team is, where the other defenders are. If someone's going to swipe at him, um, you really have to hound him 24 seven. Like you can't stop defending him for a second. Right. Uh, but with the depth that the Celtics have, I think it's, it's reasonable to expect Al Horford to just stick on him. And then, you know, even Grant can poke at him a little bit or just expect a couple other guys around the team to just constantly be hounding Jokic. I think that's fair. And I'm viewing it, from a different perspective, I think there's going to be double teams on Jokic and there's not a player better in the league than destroying a double team than Jokic. He's going to find the open guy. And now you're adding Michael Porter Jr. who shot 46% from three on, he was in the one percentile of open three point shots and he shot 46. I want people to think about how stupid that is. Um, And then you have Jamal Murray who scored 50 points in a game without a free throw attempt lights out three-point shooter one of the streakiest shooters in the game like he can bury you by himself yeah I just think if those guys are getting wide open looks that team's impossible to beat like I'm so fucking excited to see some teams healthy again it feels like with the Clippers being hurt and the Nuggets being hurt we really missed out on some incredible basketball yeah I think both of those teams are going to be fantastic this year I'm so excited to watch them again yeah, there's reasons to worry about Jokic versus the Celtics with the the health increasing around the team, around the Nuggets, because you can't double Jokic. That can't be the strategy that they go with. The thing that I'm a little bit more confident in is Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon. They're going to make Jamal Murray's life difficult. Yeah, um, if he's hot, nobody's stopping him. But those three guys are going to be good at staying with him around screens, not letting him get open looks. Um we're built to you know do a little bit of damage protecting the paint but then we got a lot of guys who can hover around the perimeter and stop guys on the perimeter it's an excellent matchup i think it's going to be a really really fun game to watch if that ends up being the finals um 
Yeah, I, maybe it's a homer thing to pick the Celtics. You know, it's a real chance Jokic wins that single-handedly and he takes on the finals MVP. But either way, it's going to be a, a like just a sick showdown. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, So now we have to move into the not-so-fun part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Let's just get into it. So Ime Udoka was having a inappropriate relationship with a, a female staffie of the Boston Celtics. Um. He just kind of got found out about this. Celtics aren't too happy. Seemed to be suspending him for at least some portion of time. It looks like a year, but it could be more. I've seen things floated out around that he might resign. Um, there's, It's just a very strange situation in Boston right now. And then not, we have to pile on as well. Jalen Brown, you can explain this, was retweeting some of, some of Kyrie's sympathies. So Yeah, so... Uh, the Ime Udoka thing, Chris Mannix, who's a Celtics reporter, saying there's a likelihood that he steps down, he resigns instead of just taking the one-year suspension. We'll have to update you whenever a decision's reached on that. But Ime Udoka is married to Nia Long, uh, and she's a beautiful woman. She is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I don't know who the staff member was, but there is no, like, there's no woman that makes that justified. Uh, Ime Udoka's a moron for that. Um and it's it's just really stupid. You know, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed there. Um, Jalen Brown retweeted Kyrie's tweet about how not letting him play uh, basketball games while va- while unvaccinated is one of the worst human rights violations in the history of the world. Um, Jalen Brown's seems like a bit of an airhead. You know, he follows around Kanye and Kyrie all the time, and. I don't want to just shit on him personality wise, but it's one of the dumbest things you could ever fucking retweet. If you're Jalen Brown, worst human rights violations in history. I don't know what is wrong with you. Um, You know, to, to even think that that's a true statement. Um, You know, nothing's going to come of it. People are just going to be like, wow, he's a moron. He really just said some dumb shit there. Uh, But it's starting to be the point where I'm, I'm thinking like, have I been defending the wrong man? Is it a bad thing, really, if we trade Jalen Brown? Um, should we get somebody who's a little bit, you know, less dumb on the team? Um, I don't know. It's it's been a disappointing week for the Celtics. Yeah, this is about as bad as it can get. Uh, yeah. You find out Robert Williams is having knee surgery like a month before the season starts. I'm not sure why it took this long. Uh, some speculated that they didn't want him having two surgeries so close together. That's fine. Um then your coach is found cheating on his wife and is being suspended. And then Jalen Brown is retweeting nonsense from Kyrie. So it's just the vibes for the Celtics are just not great. In my opinion, like heading into the season as, as a team who was viewed as like, this is a surefire thing to get back to the finals or at least the Eastern conference finals. Um, this is really bad, just from a vibe standpoint. Yeah. This is something the players should not be focusing on when they start media day. I think media day is literally in like four days or something. Um, and all they're going to be asked about is, what do you think about email? You know, like, it's just going to be, it's going to be exhausting for them. And it's yeah. just not going to be fun. And I don't know, it, it's making me sad for the players because I think this is just like bullshit that you definitely don't want to deal with um i kind of it's it's just not good it's not a good look no it's not a good look i've always thought jalen brown was one of the most likable guys on the team 
Um, and I kind of just wrote off the whole following around Kanye everywhere, being a part of his business, being really close with Kyrie as like, you know, these people are people outside of the dumb shit that they believe. But if Jalen Brown's believing the same shit, I, I don't want to hear him talk. I don't, um, you know, I don't know who you could trade him for. He's got two years left on his deal. Um, maybe three years. I don't remember. I think it is two. Um, so you're going to have to make a big decision with him next year. And with the amount of buzz that's been around his name the past couple of years, it's very, very unlikely he takes anything less than a max deal. Um, Tatum's the guy. He's been the guy. Maybe it's time we trade him. We trade Jalen Brown and we go get a whole bunch of B, B pieces. Uh, maybe a point guard who can facilitate, even though we just got Brogdon. So maybe that's the guy. I don't know what the move is, man, but I just like stop Jalen Brown, please. Yeah, I just I've said this to you for, I think, years at this point. The Celtics are just unlikable. They're not a fun group to root yeah. for. And that's why I stopped doing it. it was I blamed like, Kyrie in the beginning, but it yeah, wasn't all his fault. Man. It's not like Kyrie was definitely a part of it. And I did not watch that season because he made watching basketball miser like miserable for me. Yeah. But even after that, it's not a fun bunch to root for. It's really not. Yeah. Um, and this is just this is kind of just like emphasizing that it just, hey, your coach is doing weird shit. And hey, your second star players, a pretty interesting guy, the way he thinks like these aren't guys you want to fucking sell your soul for and root for to the end of your time. You know what I mean? Like, these, right. this isn't just like these aren't likable players to root for in any sense, honestly, yeah. like. Even when it comes to the court sometimes, like Mark, everyone loves Marcus Smart in Boston, but fucking hate Kyle Lowry. They're the same fucking player. I will die on that hill. They do the same shit. They're the same player. He just flops around, whatever. Everyone loves Marcus Smart here, though. Jason Tatum, like, I think he has little boy attitude. Like, I think he's just like, he's this, he's everyone's son in the league. Um, I just, I don't know. This isn't. This is not good vibes heading for the Celtics moving forward and just Celtics fans. Like I actually, I feel bad for Celtics fans that they, this is the team. They're kind of like Al Horford's cool as fuck. I've always loved Al Horford. He's my favorite Celtic, but other than that. Eesh. Yeah. I don't know what happens either, man. Um, the vibes are just going to be off all season. And you made, you just brought up a great point, by the way, like if you do decide to trade Jalen Brown, which I'm not saying is smart to do this season, but you have to do it eventually. He's not re-signing with the Celtics. He is leaving. He's not taking a $15 million a year pay cut to stay with the Celtics. It's not happening um, because there's a there's a rule in the league that you can only extend someone um, 120% of the contract they were on. If you, if you're, if you become a free agent and get a brand new contract, you can be paid whatever the fuck you want. But as long as he's getting extended again from his rookie extension, he can't make as much money. He's not doing that to stay in Boston. You should move off Jalen Brown, but who the fuck do you get? Who do you get? The Celtics are very deep right now. Do you get younger at the big man spot and like find a replacement for Al a few years down the line? Like that's why trade a player who can score 25 points a night for a backup big that will be relevant after Al retires. Like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot there. of there's not a lot of people we could go out and get and I don't want to do the whole New York Knicks strategy of like let's just pretend that every single <laughs> all-star point guard is someone we could go grab. Um there's some guys I'd love to see, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, who knows what's going to happen with him. 
Uh, DeAndre Ayton does not want to be in Phoenix. Maybe there's some sort of sign and trade that could happen there and Booker and uh, Brown become the two guys. Um, but none of it really makes sense to have a conversation about because none of these guys are in positions where they want to leave their team. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know, man. It's a depressing time. Jalen Brown's still a ridiculous talent and he still does a lot of good things for the community. Yeah, um, no, outside he's... of retweeting some absolute yeah. dog shit tweets from Kyrie Irving, he is still like a good man for the community. He's still doing really good things, but Jesus, could you not? Could you not retweet that shit? Right. He is objectively a wonderful human being who yeah. does a lot of great things for the community. Yeah. In Atlanta, he's super relevant down there. He helps out a lot of, uh, down there and he also helps out in Boston. So we are not like he is a good person through and through. Yeah. But, I would just say there is a list of vaccines that NBA players need to have in order to play in the NBA. It's not COVID and that's it. There's a yeah. list of them. Um, so to say that every single other one, like, you know, for the first whatever years of my life, this just wasn't an issue to me. I got them no problem. But now this one, it's just the biggest human rights violation in history. Please shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear it now. Yeah, it's it's not something that I think a lot of people in Massachusetts would agree with. Um, right. I, it's just it was just a bad bad tweet and we've all been there when we've said things or you know back someone up when we probably shouldn't have but right. I, i'm trying i don't want to go too far in on him but it was it was objectively stupid to retweet like you'd think knowing Kyrie's public perception and the way we all think about Kyrie, maybe he would be the guy to not back up a hundred percent um maybe he didn't get the memo but regardless he needs to be traded eventually and it, yeah. it doesn't even have to do with the vaccine shit just basketball contract he needs to go by next year or else this gets the Celtics could potentially lose him for nothing which is just not an option right right yeah I mean you know if we're hoping two years from now that we can pull off some sort of sign and trade to get some value out of him that is a nightmare scenario um, if he could just enter free agency and we could lose him for nothing and we're just, you know, crossing our fingers and hoping like, you know, let us trade you and get a three, you'd only get a three year deal. Yeah. Um, it's it's a terrible scenario for the Celtics. And I want to say, too, like, usually when you have a player that you're nervous about and that you have to trade, you're waiting for someone to want out of their situation. Donovan Mitchell, that shoe dropped. He's on the Cavs now. There's not a guy that's like desperate to get out of his situation anymore. The Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell left. So if you're the Celtics, like you're not even sure who's going to want out of their spot. Like if it's Kevin Porter Jr. who wants to get traded from the Rockets, are you going to trade Jalen Brown for Kevin Porter Jr.? No, you're not going to fucking do that. So they're in a very, very strange place right now. Does this affect their chances to win a championship or do you think they'll let it fly over their heads and they're good? They're just too talented this season. I think this season they still have a really good shot at making a finals run. I still predicted them to win the finals. If things go wrong for them this season and it's the same sort of thing where it's like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are turnover machines yeah. um, and they lose again because like just nobody's ready for the moment, then things are going to blow up pretty you know, historically, I think. I really think, you know, talent, there have been some really talented teams drama-filled from beginning to end that win championships. You can go look at the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Um, you can look at some of the teams with LeBron. 
Um, there have been some teams that are just full of turmoil from start to finish, and then they bring home the championship. And I don't see a reason why the Celtics couldn't do the same thing. But if they don't, I you know, it might blow up pretty hilariously. Yeah, championship windows are usually shorter than people think. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a great young team. Like, all of these guys are so fucking young, except for Al Horford. Um, and you just project success moving forwards. This is the type of bullshit that really ruins franchises. Yeah. Like, excellent head coach gets suspended slash fired, whatever. Um, the excellent head coach you had before him got burnt out of coaching the team and doesn't want to do it anymore. Uh, star player having to be traded due to contract reasons. Like, just shit like that. Like, that's how that's how potential franchises or potential dynasties just crumble. Yeah. Um, this team's always had, like, it's always seemed like their championship window is so long um, and because they're so young and, you know, all that. But it really is. It's time to win. Um, and if they don't get it done this year, I'm worried this team, this version of this team's not going to be able to get it done. Um, and you know, so, you know, so no pressure on the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. Cause I agree <laughs> with you. Like, I think this is their year. This yeah. is their best shot to win it. And then from here on out, like things just get much more difficult from them. Mm-hmm. One, because like younger players are developing, like yeah. the young talent of the league is just going to keep getting better each year. Um, and two, like. There's a story I want to bring up from the from the past, from like the young OKC days. Yeah, uh, Kobe Bryant got it in Russell Westbrook and James Harden's head that their teammates were doing too much. You know, Kobe kept telling James Harden, like, you know, you deserve more money. You deserve a lot more money. You should be the guy on your team. You shouldn't let these other guys pretend like they're better than you. Um, and it was all for it was all a ruse just to break up that team because they knew the OKC Thunder, that young core, if they stuck together, they were winning chip after chip. Um, I think this version of the Celtics could be broken up just as easily. Um, I think there are some dudes in the league where it's like Jalen Brown doesn't get the shot he wants and somebody's like, wow, man, they're really not passing you the ball, huh? Um, (laughs) And that's all it takes to blow this team up. Yeah. It's funny because I remember back to the days where Tatum was first drafted and he scored 20 points per game in the playoffs as a rookie. And all, like, people in Boston were just like, what do we have here? Like, this is crazy. And, you know, we made it to the Eastern conference finals that year. We got to game seven against LeBron James, and then we lost and people instantly just forecasted this team's winning five championships. Let's wrap it up. Because at that point we didn't have Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. So we were just the betting favorite the next year to win the championship because we were getting both of those players back. Mm Mm-hmm. It never fucking happened. And it went awful. It went horribly. The team crumbled immediately. Everyone hated each other for like two years. Yeah. Um, Winning is a very hard thing to obtain. And I just think the Celtics were on the doorstep last year. I thought they should have won last year. Just matchup wise, they had the better team. Celtic, uh, the Warriors were more experienced. Um, This is their year, man. This is their year. It is. It, it is their year. If it, if they win this year, you know, maybe Jalen Brown sticks around and maybe all of this shit's nonsense. Maybe we've been bitching about nothing. Um, but it really is a put up or shut up year for the Celtics. All right. I think that probably wraps everything up. So we've done the Eastern Conference breakdown. We've done the Western Conference breakdown. We just did our awards picks. And now we only have a little under a month till the NBA season starts. So we'll just mess around. We'll do a few fun episodes here and there, just random shit we think about. And uh, 
Yeah, Ben, do you have anything to say before we get on out of here? I think I've said it all. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later.